0: Welcome to Delta Dispatches. This is Jacques Hebert.
1: And I'm Simone Malaz.
0: Simone, we got a great show today. We're talking about sediment diversions with Rudy Simoneau and Brad Barth from CPRA.
1: Great. And I'm going to talk to Rebecca Trish of the Louisiana Wildlife Federation about her organization and her upcoming events.
0: That's great. And for those of you who need a reminder, if you want to subscribe to our podcast, Delta Dispatches, Go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Delta Dispatches. Uh, you can listen to the last epi- episodes um, and subscribe for future episodes.
1: Sure. And if you want to find out about more about our organization's Restore Retreat can be found uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.RestoreOrRetreat.org. And the campaign can be found at...
0: Mississippi River So I'm going to have a chat with Rudy and Brad, and then we'll see you later on the show when you talk to Rebecca.
1: Okay, see you in a little bit.
0: This is Jacques Hbert, and I'm really excited to be here today with two experts from the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority, CPRA, uh, Brad Barth and Rudy Simoneau. C- they lead uh, the CPRA's sediment diversion program. Um, and, you know, Simone and I joke that we got a Terrio on the show, we have an Hbert on the show. We now have Semino, So, Brad, how do we make your name Cajun? How
2: about Barthano?
0: Barthano. Okay, we'll go with Barthano for the day's show. So, tell us a little bit, guys, about your roles at CPRA and uh, what you're working on these days.
2: Well, Rudy and I both come from different divisions at CPRA. I'm in the operations division and Rudy's in the engineering division. But as we stand up this program with the diversions, we've, we've kind of cut across all divisions. We spent a lot of time this past year Uh, working on the planning and implementation to stand the program up which then will turn around and stand up the project so as we transition from developing schedules and tasks and how we contract the work to deliver these projects then we'll transition into implementing and doing the engineering design, doing the permitting and so forth to get us to construction.
3: That's right, Brad, and and to echo that, and I think we'll touch on this a little later, Brad and I are also, as Sea Prairie employees, we're affiliated with many other efforts, the dredging and the marsh creation of Barrow Islands, the flood protection, uh, as the master plan says it's a comprehensive approach. So uh, we we do spend most of our time recently on diversions, but uh, at the end of the day, we're we're still tied to all the parts and pieces that make up the master plan and things that we're trying to implement.
0: Great, yeah, and we had... um, you know, Bren Haas, for those of you who may have not listened to last week's episode, on to talk about the 2017 master plan, which is currently, um, it's been updated, it's in draft form, and you can get public comments in and review it by March 26th. So tell us a little bit, and our, our listeners, you know, for those folks who may not be familiar um, with sediment diversions, right? They're a cornerstone of kind of the master plan and our efforts to restore coastal Louisiana. Um, for those of you, for those who may not be familiar with sediment diversions, can you kind of walk us through what they are and why are they so crucial um, in this land loss crisis?
2: Yeah, so sediment diversions we feel is a, a key crucial piece because it's going to help restore the natural process. So since the 1930s, we've levied up for flood control and navigation and starved the basins and bays of the sediments and the nutrients and the fresh water that it takes to build those bays and sustain those wetlands. The diversion will actually reconnect the Mississippi River to that basin and allow that sediment, the nutrients, and fresh water to re-enter into the basin and create, maintain, and sustain those marshlands. And then these two basins, Baratarian and Breton basins, are some of the hardest hit basins in, among coastal Louisiana. We've lost over 700 square miles uh, in the last 80 years since the 1930s. So this is really getting to the root cause and, and stopping the root cause for the continued coastal erosion into the uh, basins and bays.
0: And so in terms of, you know, what they might actually look like, you've, you've talked a little bit about, you know, how we, it's important to reconnect the river to its wetlands and delta to kind of have that process where you're replenishing that uh, the wetlands with sediment. They're currently sediment-starved, and a lot of that sediment will pass right through the Mississippi River and fall off the con- outer continental shelf into the Gulf of Mexico. So, you know, what will a sediment diversion structure actually look like, and how will it, um, you know, work in terms of with the Mississippi River and tributary system and levees and that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, down in these locations, we have uh, flood protection levees. So to reconnect the river out to the basin, we'll have to go through the flood protection levees. And we'll have gated controlled structures there to, to keep the level of flood protection and then a conveyance channel to get it out to the basin to the bay. But from there, it's it's a natural process. It's, it's only engineered basically through between levee to levee to ensure our, our protection to our citizens. Great.
0: And, you know, last week we had Dr. Denise Reed with the Water Institute of the Gulf on the show, um, and she talked about how diversions have been studied extensively, I mean, going back to the 1970s, and they've been put forth by, you know, many, you know, scientists and other planners as crucial to combating this land loss crisis. Um, So why is using the Mississippi River so important um, in terms of our, you know, dealing with land loss?
2: Yeah, I think some of those studies have actually even gone to the late 20s. Even so, uh, but again, it's it's about the natural process. It's about capturing what the river was originally meant to do. Uh, again, we've kind of changed up how the river works right now, and this is a long-term sustainable strategy to make the river work for us like it once used to. So every second of the day, sediments, fine-grain sands and silts and clays are coming down the river. And every day that we don't have a diversion is a day that keeps on going down out the coast, like you said.
0: Yeah, it's uh, definitely a missed opportunity. And I remember, you know, I think a few years ago when they opened the Bonnie Carey Spillway, you just saw all that sediment pouring into Lake Pontchartrain. And you can often see satellite imagery of it pouring off the, uh, you know, out, off the, out of the Burt's Delta and off the continental shelf. So, you know, I think one of the things you hear a lot about in terms of future challenges, environmental challenges, sea level rise... Um, you know, you think about the threats, right? And the, and the master plan really looks out at, at those threats over time. Um, and you have places like Miami and other coastal areas that are facing, you know, similar threats from sea level rise. Um, but we do have the Mississippi River and, and that land building sediment to push back against, against sea level rise. So once these sediment diversions are actually built and constructed and in operation, what are some of the results that you expect to see?
3: That's a good question. So uh, I guess, like you said, the, the coast and particularly the Barataria and Breton sounds are, are kind of attacked from both directions, the bottom and subsidence, and the top from sea level rise. Um, and we have an opportunity to to catch up with that or, or keep pace with that. And in the early years, you're going to see just the input of, of river water into the system is going to, I guess, help sustain things. And you see it right now on the east bank in the Bohemia spillway and even at Mardi Gras Pass, you see just that small influx of water. What it's doing to those wetlands, and then over decades, over time, you'll see the basin begin to shallow, just because of the input of bit load sa- sands. That's what we're trying to divert and reconnect into the basin. So over over the decades, you're gonna it's gonna turn from something that's sustaining the wetlands to something that's actually building land, mm-hmm. and that's what we're trying to go for here. That's why these projects are so unique because we're using them to build land using the river sand. Right. So we have that opportunity, and we do have alarming sea level rise rates and subsidence rates particularly in this area and we have an opportunity to to mitigate that with these projects.
0: Right, and you know in Louisiana in particular we're impacted by the the relative sea level rise as you described so it's the subsidence and the sea level rise and you know there are so few places across the coast that are building land but the places that are it seems that they have that influx of of, uh, you know fresh water and sediment like the Wax Lake Delta. That's correct. Um, And so you know you mentioned this a little bit earlier rudy but in terms of sediment diversions you know in, in terms of your working on not just sediment diversions but really thinking of this as a holistic approach that there's no one size fits all solution you need all the projects kind of working together uh, sediment diversions and you know marsh creation and dredging and and other um, projects but you know sediment diversions are important to build and maintain land but they also are important in terms of supporting other investments right and whether that be in levees that have been constructed or you know marsh creation projects that have been um, you know enacted across the coast so can you talk a little bit about how sediment versions will work with the some of these other projects and what they do to kind of support other investments
3: that's right it's, it's the backbone of the master plan is to a comprehensive approach and to focus on how projects in a certain region or basin work off of each other and that's a great point particularly in barataria for example we're going to proposed to build um you know many acres of wetlands using the diversion that's going to buffer a hurricane protection levy and that's going to help communities like arnton and myrtle grove because um, that levee is exposed right now um, and with sea level rise and subsidence that water is only getting deeper and they're not far from the gulf of mexico and in in a deeper bay so the, the building land here will help buffer that levy similarly we need we're looking at opportunities for marsh creation and ridges within the outfall area that are gonna be sustained by a diversion, but it also could help the diversion build land quicker by helping to retain the sediment within the, within a very segregated or broken uh, basin. So uh, we're looking at ways to synergistically approach everything uh, using different project features to, to work off of each other. It's a, like I said, it's always been kind of the comprehensive backbone of the master plan, but now we're actually putting it to work and making it happen.
0: Great, and uh, for those of you who might be just joining us, We're here with uh, Rudy Simino and Brad Barth, project managers with CPRA on uh, the sediment diversion program. And this is WGSO, 990 AM, Delta Dispatches, and we'll be right back after the break.
4: National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect Coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. NWF.org slash Louisiana.
0: Welcome back to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 998 AM. This is Jacques Auber and I'm here with Brad Barth and Rudy Semino with CPRA. We're discussing sediment diversions. Um, and so, Brad and Rudy, tell me there are no sediment diversions currently dis- uh, constructed on the landscape, correct? But there are freshwater diversions. Um, so, can you talk a little bit? I think sometimes folks get a little confused. You know, they hear about a diversion that may ha- may exist, and it's in fact a freshwater diversion. So, what is the difference between freshwater diversions and sediment diversions, and why do you expect sediment diversions to be more effective in terms of
2: building land? Yeah, good question. The main difference, uh, they're very similar in structure type and and, and, and such, but the main difference is, is how they're operated and what their goals are to accomplish. So for example, Carnarvon and Davis Pond, those are freshwater diversions. Their primary goal is to, just to fight back saltwater intrusion. They do have a secondary goal is to to minimize and uh, coastal erosion due to that saltwater intrusion. But again, they they operate much differently. So they're going to be operating in the summer to early fall, fall uh, late fall months, or maybe even in the early winter when the basins are starved of fresh water because of the natural flooding cycle of the river. So sediment diversions work totally opposite of this. Real similar concept with structure, but totally opposite that we flow when the river's already high. So when the basins fresher, sediment diversions will will flow to get that maximum capture of sediment and nutrients and fresh water out. So they follow the natural cycle and process of the river uh, to help build that land and sustain those sediments.
0: And isn't it true that, you know, in terms of capturing maximum amount of sediment and kind of, uh, you know, silts and and sands, you kind of have to go a little bit deeper in the water column, uh, correct, to do that? And so the the actual structure or sediment diversion may be different in that way in that it's seeking kind of that sweet spot, right, where you are going to get the most amount of sediment and land building material.
2: Yeah, excellent point. So both those diversions are much shallower structures. This diversion will be a significantly deeper, maybe minus 40 or minus 50 in elevation there on uh, down to the sandbar elevation actually. So it'd be a much deeper structure than than what we associate with freshwater diversions.
0: And so just because folks may be familiar with certain freshwater diversions or their impacts and effects, that's not necessarily to say that, you know, they'll see the exact same thing with the sediment diversion. Like these are separate projects, they're distinct. um, And like you mentioned earlier, they're designed with the goal of building land. That's correct. And so in the uh, coastal master plan, which we've talked a lot about, CPRA has released its updated 2017 coastal master plan. It's out for public comment until March twenty sixth. And we had our last episode on the master plan in entirety. So there are several sediment diversions um, in the current master plan. Is that correct? That's correct. Can you kind of give us an overview of some of those projects and just where they're located, kind of, what are some of the main sediment diversion projects in the master plan?
3: Absolutely. So, uh, total there are 11 different diversion projects in the 27 in the draft 2017 plan, and that's uh, along the Mississippi and the Atchafalia. Um, You know, with a total cost of over five billion dollars uh, over the 11 projects. You know, our focus near term has been mid and mid-Breton, and I, I think we, we present and we speak a lot on that, and that's kind of the ones I've gotten the most attention lately due to the fact that we're actually in implementation of both of those projects. We have secured funding, and we're moving forward with them. Um, we'll continue to look at the other diversions and get them ready for when planning becomes available. But at this time, those are the two that we're focused on uh, in terms of the, the locations of some of these diversions. Of course, uh, Baratari and Breton are sediment diversions, and they're located in the, the lower river as well as the lower Breton diversion, which I think a lot of folks are familiar with as well, which is also a sediment diversion project. And moving upriver, uh, there are a, 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 a quite a few diversions upriver, um, and, and these are mainly freshwater diversions um, that are that are used to reintroduce freshwater into areas like the Maripaw Swamp. Um, which we, we know is kind of under attack from the uh, higher saline waters of Lake Marpa and, and really kind of um, gets impacted during storm situations. So um, we see that further upriver we see smaller diversions but very much important because those areas don't may, ne- may, ne- may not necessarily need land building per se, but the reintroduction of freshwater is critical in some of those other diversions.
0: And you, you made the point that kind of in the current master plan there's five billion dollars allocated towards sediment diversions and you know, kind of emphasizing that this is a holistic approach. I believe, you know, marsh creation projects have something up to around 18 billion. So it really is not um, you know, an, an issue of dredge or divert or one or the other. I mean, you really are doing both. And even, in fact, there's a ton of marsh creation that's happening across the coast um, in the current master plan.
3: Absolutely. And, and you know, unfortunately, there's, there's a limited amount of areas within our coastal zone that we can take advantage of diversions. And they primarily focus on that Chafalaya and Mississippi rivers. There's marsh creation spread throughout the whole coast from border to border. So uh, you see that larger price tag and that larger interest in marsh creation because we, we're more flexible and we have other areas that we mm-hmm. can build those projects but um, yeah there's, there's definitely a focus still on dredging currently right now we have uh, three or four dredges operating on marsh creation projects on, on, on critical projects that, that we've been working on for many years mm-hmm. um. so
0: you know and that that brings up a good point in terms of you know there are only so many areas that can necessarily be influenced by the Mississippi and the Chapalaya Rivers. And so you have to kind of use other s- solutions and other projects in areas that don't have that influence. So in terms of like project selection, I know um, you know, there are the two that you mentioned, Mid-Bear Terra and Mid-Breton, and then they're on either side of the Mississippi River down in Plaquemines Parish. How do you kind of optimize where you where and how you select a project for a diversion?
3: So we let the river tell us first. Um, as you mentioned, in the case of a land building or sediment diversion, uh, we've placed these projects in the in the proximity of a, of a sandbar, um, and that's a that's an area that we we feel we can continually um, reap the benefits of, of a sediment feed from the river. Um, so first and foremost, in the case of a sediment diversion, we look at the river and see what it gets us. Secondly, we look at the basin and see and see what 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 is a ideal area to build land in obviously if if it's it's very deep or it puts you right into a a bay or gulf of mexico that might not be the ideal uh opportunity to build land with a sediment diversion in the case of the freshwater diversions we look at at areas of uh, cypress swamp or other swamp lands that uh that obviously need that reintroduction of fresh water so it's it's a combination of looking at the river and looking at the basin and and teasing out which is the best uh, opportunity these are billion dollar projects at the end of the day we want to make sure we we invest our money in the right place in the right location.
0: And there has been, to that point, an extensive amount of, you know, studying and modeling and science that has gone
3: into that, you know, very pro-
0: process of selecting those project Absolutely. locations. And
3: it, it, it's, you know, um, there was, there has been an exhaustive effort to study and make sure, but as, as you can understand, it's very important that we put these projects in the right location um, to operate in the right way and, and, and get our uh, best investment out of it. Great. And so once
0: these diversions are, you know, kind of on the land, um, and, you know, ready to be operated, can you talk a little bit about uh, kind of operations and what you might do to make them more successful in terms of operating the actual diversion and the structure?
2: Yeah, there's several things we're looking at there. So, um, one of our objectives as CPRA is to restore natural process. And so as we talked earlier about the, um, the natural flooding cycle of the river we really want to follow that and follow that natural process so pre 1930s in the lower Mississippi Valley any time you had a significant flooding event you would have crevasse splays open up and open up on the nat- through the natural levee and allow water sediment nutrients and so forth to flood the landscape so uh, sediment diversion is, is in, in its essence a, a crevasse splay. so the goal here would be to have it to be able to be operated when the river hits a certain stage or a flow in the river and then it would be operated until the river would come back down at some point in time. And so that would be the ideal operation. So, but in addition to that, we know we can we can do things smarter and 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 more efficiently. So, we're looking at the efficiencies of the sediment capture and the amount of water that gets sent out into the basin so we can um avo- uh, minimize or avoid any potential impacts to natural resources and then you know looking at that operations plan then if we if we get to a point where there's potential impacts that cannot be avoided or minimized then we would look to mitigate those those potential impacts
0: great. And, and Rudy, you mentioned this earlier, but um, the Mid-Breton and Mid-Beret area sediment diversions in Plaquemines Parish are further along than the others in terms of implementation. Um, I know, I believe y'all put out a call for, um, uh, you know, a design or uh, actual uh, engineering on the diversion, is that correct? For Mid-Beretaria. For correct. Mid-Beretaria. So wh- what is th- when can people actually expect to see these diversions constructed and on the landscape?
2: Well, we're, we're looking right now um, for early construction in, in 2020 for Mid-Beretaria and then early construction efforts for, for mid Breton in the 2022 time frame. There's a significant amount of engineering and design in environmental work and permitting work that has to occur in the next three to four years uh, but we think there's definitely some opportunities out there uh, working with with the federal family and, and and the state and the state's consultants to, to, to get some early construction out there
0: great uh delta dispatches on wgso 9, 9 a.m this is jacques ebert and i'm here with brad barth and rudy semino of the coastal protection and restoration authority we're talking about sediment diversions and so before the break brad you were discussing kind of the road to get these constru- uh, sediment diversions actually constructed so can you talk a little bit about what the process is between now and that actual construction date
2: yeah, the next, uh, next three to four years is going to be quite uh, challenging for us. We have a lot of stuff to accomplish in a short amount of time. Uh, the, the two main things that we'll be working on is going to be the environmental impact statement, which will be worked through a local contractor and the Army Corps of Engineers. And in a, in a parallel process, the engineering and design. So we have to take a project, say, Mid-Bear Terrio, which has just had some preliminary engineering done, and work it through to a final engineering package. And with that, it involves penetrating the Mississippi River levee, a, a federal back levy. So we have to have a, a, a very a detailed coordination with the Army Corps uh, to get their blessing with this project. So that will be the primary focus. In addition to that, we also have to go through uh, land acquisition. so there's a lot of land that will need to be acquired as part of this project over the next several years.
0: Great, and I know, I mean, obviously these are two hugely important projects, um, you know, to really anyone who cares about coastal Louisiana and people across, you know, these regions, and so I know you and your staff have been doing a ton of outreach and engagement, and education to people in the areas, but really people across the coast um, to educate them about sediment diversions. Can you talk a little bit about the work you all have been doing to make sure people are aware or understand, they have um, an opportunity to ask questions?
2: Yeah, so we, we've really made a push with, with these projects to get out into the local community. Uh, to do a lot more information sessions where we can collect information from the locals, who who know the area, who know the practical ideas in, in these locations, and, and to work with the locals and, and have that transmittal and that communication of, of information back and forth. So one thing we've started is Coastal Connections, which is a, a monthly uh, working hour session that we go down into the community, mostly Plaquemines Parish. I think we'll have an event in Saint Saint Bernard Parish here shortly, uh, but we spend the day down there and let anybody come by and visit with us that wants to ask questions about the project or would like more. Information about the project. Uh, And then we do a lot of presentations to the CPRA board, to the um, governor's advisory committee, and and then to um, events like this. Yeah.
0: And I know those coastal connections have been pretty well attended. You had one recently in Empire on the On the dock there, right?
2: Yeah, it was actually at a at a bait shop right there in in Empire, and it was a huge success. We had over forty people come out to, to either provide their support or ask questions or gather information. so it was it was a really good event.
0: That's great. And you know I know uh, polling definitely shows that the vast majority of people in Louisiana support sentiment diversions. We understand how important they are from a scientific perspective, but there are you know some who are opposed. you know why why is that?
3: Well, there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there, and uh, obviously people um, have their opinion and are entitled to express their opinion. Um, but there are a lot of mis- misconceptions and, and misunderstanding, and, and a lot of that gets spread pretty quickly. But uh, we feel that the more we can get out and get into Plaquemines Parish and St. Menor Parish and, and deliver our message, um, the better off we'll be. And, and we're starting to see that already. Uh, we're, we're coming up on our fourth or fifth coastal connections here, and we're, we're starting to see people— from the, the local show up to support us and to help us explain diversions and explain the issues to other folks. So uh it, it is working. I think it's just a matter of you know, we can present PowerPoints and board meetings and things like that, but when we can get down and go to bait shops and go to their communities and explain it to them. It, it, it's really resonating well, and I think the message is getting out there.
0: That's great. And I think one of the things people talk about is the impact of water and kind of you know, not wanting to have more freshwater in our estuaries. But in fact, our estuaries have become more saltwater dominated right through saltwater intrusion over time. Um, Is that correct? So sediment diversions are hoping to restore that natural balance of an estuary where you have the freshwater swamps all the way out to the
3: kind of brackish and saltwater uh, marshes. That's absolutely right. I mean, an estuary is is, can be thought of as a transition zone between a a river environment and a a maritime environment. And um, as you know, our river environment was cut off from the estuary. Um, so, like you said, the the estuary has probably taken a more salty or saline um, effect than it than it should be. So, we're, all we're trying to do, as Brad mentioned several times, we're trying to reestablish the natural process and bring that that estuary back into balance. Um, it, it, it's it's we're trying to bring in the riverine influence back into the estuary. So.
0: Great, and I think another thing we hear often, and we kind of referenced this earlier in the show, but. A lot of people will say dredge don't divert right and uh, we talked about how the master plan actually does have a lot of dredge marsh creation projects in it to the tune of $18 billion um, but at the same time we recognize that you know marsh creation and in, in its own is not enough so um, why is that like why can't we just kind of pump our way out of this as some people would suggest.
3: Yeah and. And, you know, we have successfully dredged, and there are a lot of successful projects on the ground. Uh, Caminata Headland, for example, is a a massive dredging project along this sediment pipeline corridor. In in the case of of dredging projects in this environment, in the Barataria and Breton Sounds, uh, due to the soil conditions, due to the sea level rise, there is a, a time frame that these, these projects will remain on the landscape. Um, they will not keep up with the relative sea level rise. And we're seeing that now in some of the older Quipper projects that we built in the, in the late 90s that have come upon, they're, they're coming up on that 20-year mark um they're not as functional they're lower than they were uh, when they were in their prime if you will so there is a window that a dredge a marsh creation project just as anything else in south louisiana that's built on unstable soils it will sink it will continue to consolidate and the sea level rise issue will, will, will catch up to it and, and actually impact it
0: well so i hear uh you know you all at cpra are building a pretty cool model of the mississippi river that's actually going to be a live model that people can go and check out and it's in this uh, kind of a massive room tell us a little bit about that what people can see you know and what what you're hoping to accomplish with that river model
3: yeah so it's um it's an exciting project i think um we'll we'll hope to get as many people out there to view it as possible but a lot of people don't know uh in cooperation with lsu we built a physical model of the lower mississippi river in the early 2000s and operated it successfully for many years it actually its operations helped determine the current location of the mid barataria diversion we actually ran that model to help validate some of the other models that were done but uh in in short a a, a physical model is basically taking it what's in nature shrinking it down to something you can manage and running it just as you would in nature so it's it's a um it's a powerful tool uh the model that we're building uh represents a 14,000 square mile uh domain of coastal Louisiana from Donisonville to the Gulf of Mexico so uh we we capture Barataria, Breton, Pontchartrain, and Terrebonne in this model um it's 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 a qualitative model so what we're trying to do is it's a movable bed model we run water and sediment on there we open diversions and we test them we test different diversion scenarios different operation scenarios different sea level rise scenarios to see if uh what's the optimal location of some of these diversions so barrett is set but we're looking at other diversions further down the line so
0: That's great. And, uh, you know, we'll look forward to hearing more about that and knowing when it's kind of open and and we can come check it out. Um, So for folks that want to learn more about our sediment diversion, uh, your sediment diversion programs and projects um, and provide feedback, maybe learn about what's in the master plan, where can they go uh, to learn more about your program?
3: So um, first of all, the key initiatives page of our our CPRA website, if you go to CPRA's website, they have our, our work section key initiatives you'll see the landing page for the diversion program that is the best place to get the latest and greatest information uh, if you have questions there's always an email address coastal at la.gov that is the best place to to shoot your questions and we'll respond to those those will get to brad and i if they're related to diversions or anything else so uh the other thing, if, river model related too as well if 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 there's a topic in there that someone wants to ask a question please email that email address and we'll make sure we respond to that
0: Great, well, thank you both so much for being on the show today. Um, you know, Rudy Simoneau and Brad Barthano, actually Brad Barth uh, with CPRA, we appreciate it. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to have you back on again soon.
2: Thank you. Thank you. All right,
0: this is Delta Dispatches, WGSO 990 AM. And we'll be right back after the break.
1: This is Samoma Laws, and welcome back to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, where we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I have with me today Rebecca Trish. Hello, Rebecca. Hi. How are you?
4: I'm great, and I'm here to talk about an event we have coming up. Great. Rebecca is the executive director, a
1: fellow executive director. We're in the trenches together for an organization called the Louisiana Wildlife Federation. So we'll talk about your event in just a minute. Rebecca, why don't you tell us a
4: little bit about LWF? You've been around a while, right? Sure. Uh, we were formed in 1940, so we've been around for 75 years. And we have affiliate organizations around the state. We conserve wildlife and habitat, one of our uh, key focus areas is on coastal restoration and the habitat for wildlife and people our members are uh, people who enjoy being outdoors so they're hunters they're anglers they're paddlers they're bird watchers some of them do all of those things throughout the year and so they're concerned about not just access and the right to use our natural resources but that they're conserved in a way that's you know they can enjoy them and the future their you know grandkids can.
1: Yeah, so you're guided. You Like you mentioned, you have a board of directors. You also have some outreach staff. And
4: maybe tell us a little bit about even Camo Coalition that goes along with you guys. Sure. So because we have a, a large, our membership is mostly sportsmen, we have our uh, Louisiana Camouflage Coalition. And that is where we focus a lot of our education, and advocacy for people to let their opinions be known about coastal restoration. So we're telling people what is the latest information as relates to uh, interests of sportsmen. And at lacamo.org, they can sign up and get notices of how they can take action, whether it's communicating with CPRA about the Coastal Master Plan or the Annual Plan or if there's something going on about Go Mesa or um, other issues for um, coastal protection and restoration that they can talk to their legislators or up to Congress. We have, you know, information about that when it's key for sportsmen to weigh in.
1: Great. And I know that you're uh, like us, Rebecca, you follow specific projects. Um, and one project coming up is um, the Caminata Beach Restoration in Elmer's Island. Want to talk about uh, a little bit about
4: how LWF works into a project like that? Sure. Yeah. So we're really excited about some f- funding that's come open that c- that Uh, Enhancement projects on Elmers Island would be perfect for. There's no um, area of the coast that's more eligible in terms of mitigation for recreation dollars from the oil spill, as well as being in the line of some of that waste that, you know, washed in from the spill. And so, you know, since the Kamanada, uh project has laid such a nice beach and Elmer's Island is included in that restoration, it's just, you know, really obvious that we could do more for access as well as wildlife protection. I mean, people love going to Elmer's Island and, but wildlife, it's important for them too, for bird nesting and for other, you know, migratory uh, wildlife in the benthic, you know, column for fisheries right at the edge, and so we need to to put more resources toward restoring that area, um, allowing the right kind of access so that people can enjoy it. I mean, it's phenomenal beach fishing, and our members are very passionate about Elmer's Island, and it's one of our key um, initiatives over the last decade that we're very proud of protecting.
1: Yeah, and and Restore Retreats proud to to have teamed up with you and and have really followed uh, the Caminata's progress. It really is uh, one of the best things that we have to show people that we're serious about uh, where we live, work, and play because something like Caminata protects Port Fouchon. Certainly it is a beautiful recreational habitat. Uh, And so we we love working together with you guys on issues just like Caminata. They have a ribbon cutting coming up, um, which is great because uh, we look forward to more successes on projects that that follow Caminata's example. So tell us a little bit about some of the events you have coming up. You have a pretty big awards banquet coming up this weekend, right?
4: Yes, we do. So annually, Louisiana Wildlife Federation recognizes um, significant achievement in conservation. So uh, for this year, we solicit nominations every year. And this year, our judges who are Um, you know, past winners, leaders and agencies or other conservation organizations. We gather them together and look at the nominations and select people. And I tell you, this project, I mean, this program really inspires me every year because you just hear about what people are doing and, and sometimes just motivated by their own uh you know conservation ethic or their desire to make their community or their little part of nature better and so it's it's a really great great program and saturday march 18th in baton rouge at boudreaux is when we have the banquet so it's the governor's conservation achievement awards banquet and secretary jack montessay will be there for the governor um, and we present these awards in conjunction with National Wildlife Federation, um, and they're beautiful statuettes and very noticeable. And we've had some really phenomenal people receive these awards in the past, and I, I'd love to talk about who's going to be getting an award Saturday.
1: Right, so tell us some of the folks that, uh, that will, will receive the award. And like you said, uh, some folks no, definitely not short on passion, so
4: tell us a little bit about some of those folks. Right. So the Governor's Award is selected from the top of all of the categories, and this year uh, Apache Corporation was selected to recognize their, you know, continued year after year uh, contribution of trees to numerous agencies and nonprofits, and not just in Louisiana, but surrounding states. And so they have the Apache Tree uh, planting program and they've just been consistent and we're, we're talking about you know thousands of acres that have been restored and what's important about a tree donation and consistently to groups that really want to do this is it's it's good for a match as we mm-hmm. both know in nonprofits you're looking for grants and you need a match with that so it's important to have that kind of participation and Apache's really committed to that and I think some people might recognize Apache for uh, when the pickets off, uh, Shore was going to be you know the, the um, Uh, Rigs were going to be removed, Apache stepped up and put some, you know, structure back there to continue with the kind of habitat for recreational fishing. So Apache Corporation's been, you know, a good corporate member in our coastal zone, but but it's really fun to see what they've done throughout Louisiana. And so that's just one of the we, uh, award winners. Um, yeah,
1: we have a, a connection to Apache. They are, um, they've are they always been supporters of Restore Retreat, but they are good coastal landowners, and uh, I'm very glad to see that they're recognized. For, they go above and beyond. So I'm, I'm very pleased to see that you recognize their efforts. You have some other great individuals too, right?
4: Yeah, so we're going to recognize Theron Hinkle. Um, Dr. Hinkle works for Louisiana sorry, Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, and she did some great work in 2016 um, on uh, coastal forest um, restoration and some other really great projects. Um, We have the phenomenal uh, volunteer, Ronald Coco, who's from Avoyles Parish, and just year after year, and again, in 2016, just culminated in volunteering for hunter safety education for numerous projects that engage youth in, you know, learning about conservation or participating in shooting sports. Um, just. There's another one similarly, and it's funny how these all work out. Connor Arthur, who's from Florian near uh, Toledo Bend, uh, is our Youth Conservationist of the Year, and he's just taught classes to, you know, other youth, um, is about hunter safety, about conservation, about wildlife, respect for wildlife, volunteered in his community. I mean, there's just some wonderful people out there. Um, Barry Gilead in Luling is a great educator and has... um, uh, a wetlands project, Tegan Winland, with WWNO, mm-hmm. and we're going to recognize QDMA for um, some phenomenal work that they've done in protecting white-tailed deer in Louisiana. So, Rebecca, tell us where we can find more information about LWF. Your website. You also have a very
1: cool dat dog
4: uh, fundraiser coming up. Where can they find all this information? Yeah, so go to our website, um, LA Wildlife Fed short for federation.org so it's la org. all that information is there and we'd love to see people on saturday the 25th at dat dog and ferret cool right here in new orleans all right well thank you rebecca we very much appreciate your time this
1: afternoon I hope you come back in and we can chit-chat more about some of those other projects that we work on together, Uh, maybe even around Lake Pontchartrain and and all along the coast. Uh, So thank you, fellow executive director. Uh, We appreciate you coming in today and very much. uh, We wish you very much success with your banquet on Saturday. Thank you. I'd love to come back. Welcome back, Jacques.
0: Hey, Simone. It's great to be back. Uh, So, I heard you got an award yourself from the Coalition of Restore Coastal Louisiana.
1: I sure did. I was nominated by my colleagues and peers, and I greatly appreciate their coastal stewardship award. I heard it was your birthday.
0: (laughs) My birthday was yesterday, yes. Thank you very much.
1: Happy birthday.
0: Thank you, and congratulations. Um, So we've got an important announcement for everyone. Uh, There's one week left to give public comment on the Coastal Master Plan. The public comment deadline is March 26th. So go online to coastal.la.gov to learn more about the Master Plan and submit your comments.
1: Right. You can find the Master Plan there, all the appendices, and you can also find versions of the executive summary in English, French, Spanish, and Vietnamese.
0: And you can also go on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org slash takeaction and give comment that way. We have a form ready to go that will go directly to CPRA.
1: Great. So we'll see you next week. We have another great show lined up.
0: All right. Thanks. See you next week.